The following sermon was preached on July 11, 2021 at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. Mr. Joseph Harrell preached this sermon entitled The Life-Giving River on Ezekiel 47, 1-12. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit antiochpca.com or contact us at info at antiochpca.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. The journey begins with tiny drops of water falling on Mount Mitchell. Sometimes in the winter that falls as snowflakes. And later as it melts, it flows into streams, small streams that flow through the cold forest of the Appalachian. These flow into larger rivers, the French Broad and the Holston, and these flow into the Tennessee River. And this flows all the way to the Tom Bigby Waterway and empties into the Mississippi and flows into the Gulf of Mexico. I want to ask you children, wouldn't it be amazing if we could take a ride? If we could actually be way up on the mountain in Mount Mitchell when the snow falls or the raindrop falls and we could actually follow it all the way through this path. Now, if you go to Chattanooga and go to the Tennessee Aquarium, you will get to start at the top floor and go down through the museum and you will see what I just described. That would be an incredible journey to see that drop of water go all the way through and then empty out one day into the ocean. Well, it's an incredible journey. It is not nearly as incredible as what we have just read in the book of Ezekiel. Here we find a river that has only one source, not like all the drops and all the streams through the mountains, but only one source. And as that river flows, it becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. And not only that, but wherever that river flows, it gives life to all. It literally heals. This picture that we have in Ezekiel is an amazing journey. So today, we will be focusing on three different aspects of this river. First of all, we will see the nature of the river. Uh, then we will focus on its power. And finally, we'll conclude by looking at the results of this river. This life-giving river, let me say very quickly, is a symbol that is used that God gave to the prophet Ezekiel. And it is to demonstrate the power of God through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is life himself, and the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's begin by looking at the nature of the river, the origin of this river. You know, usually when water is trickling out from under the house, that is not good news. <laughs> We are new homeowners. We've never owned a home before, but I hope that never happens at our house. But 
In this case, it is very good news because we need to understand, first of all, what is the house that's being referred to in Ezekiel chapter 47? Well, there are a couple of hints along the way. If you look at verse 1 in your Bibles, you will see, and the water was flowing from under the right side of the house from south of the altar. You see, this is not any ordinary house. It's the temple. There's the altar there. But then there is a clearer and further hint later on in our text. In verse 12, it says, They will bear every month, speaking of the trees that are growing beside this river, because their water flows from the sanctuary. This is not an ordinary house. And actually, it's very good news that water is flowing out from under this house because it is from the very presence of God. Now, perhaps you know of people or you have thought yourself that really the hope that we have today is that one day the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Uh, there are a lot of people that I know who really believe that that is the center of what God is going to do in the future, the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. But we have to remember, in the Old Testament, the temple, first of all, the tabernacle there in the wilderness was the symbol of the very presence of God. God had promised by covenant, I will be your God and you will be my people, and I will dwell in your midst. The tabernacle was placed right in the center of the camp because God dwelt among his people. Later in the time of Solomon, the temple was built. Once again, symbolizing the presence of God there. Later, after the first temple was, destro was destroyed, in the rebuilding of the temple after the exile, once again, not a grandest structure, but God once again dwelt among his people. How remarkable when we get to the New Testament. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, I believe Dr. Piper quoted this this morning, that uh, the Lord himself became flesh. And he tabernacled, is the word, among us. And we beheld his glory Glory is of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Christ is the fulfillment of this temple. And we will see that Christ is also the fulfillment of the river flowing from the temple. The real hope that we have then, make no mistake, is not in the rebuilding of a temple in Jerusalem, but our real hope is found only in Christ who is the one who tabernacled among us, who is the very glory and image of the Father. This is what is being displayed here. This is good news. But as I said earlier, the remarkable thing is there's really one source of this temple, of this water that is flowing out of the temple. There's, it's not a lot of streams. There's just simply one source. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make glad in the city of God, the habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. 
She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The river pictured here is of one source, and it's a picture of God's peace. It's a picture of God's blessing, of safety, and of God's provision. And it's in the very midst of the people of God. One of the things that many people are wondering today, and we will actually conclude with this tonight, is to think together of what in the world is God doing? Uh, as we think of a worldwide pandemic, as we think of one nation after another in upheaval, what is God doing? Well, he is doing precisely what He has ordained and planned to do. He is building His church. He is in the midst of His people. And it is pictured here as this river flowing, a river of peace and of life. You know, one of the common ways that people believe today is to think of the idea that there are many ways to God. Recently, I, over here on the tennis court, was having a conversation, as I enjoy doing, uh, taking a break, drinking some water uh, between uh, playing tennis with someone, and I asked that question, and a person gave the answer that is often given. There's, I believe there are a lot of different ways to God. Uh, there are a lot of sources, we might say. You know, it's, it's interesting, but I trust that I'll be able to, to emphasize to him, to my new friend, that really that is not true. There's only one source of life. You remember that in the book of Proverbs, we read that, uh, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of destruction. Uh, that is true that there are a lot of different religions and forms of belief, but all of man's religions and forms of belief lead precisely to the same place, to hell itself, to destruction. There's no hope. And so we see in this picture, once again, returning to the fountain, to the river, that there's only one source of hope in life. The hymn writer said uh, that it flows from Emmanuel's veins, from God himself, and sinners plunge beneath that flow, lose all their guilty stains. That is the source of this river. There's forgiveness. Another interesting characteristic of this river is that it is increasing rapidly as it spreads. Ordinarily, we would think of water being poured out of a, of a source that would go out into the ground, would be absorbed, and if the water did go further, it would become more and more shallow and diminished in its power. But this is not true. In verses 3 through 5, if you look there, you will see that, and I'm going to put this in feet, maybe we can think of it in that way, at 1,500 feet, it is up to the ankles. At 3,000 feet, it is up to the knees. At 4,500 feet, it's up to the waist. At 6,000 feet, it's a powerful river that cannot be forded. The question really of the prophet Ezekiel in verse 6, he asked, Son of man, have you seen this? So the one showing him this river and measuring the river and showing it his depth, he wants to make sure that he is seen. 
And my question for us here tonight, have you seen? What have we seen? (laughs) We've seen a mighty river that comes from one and only one source, a river that increases in depth and strength the further that it flows. There's only one possible explanation for this river, unlike any other waterway that we would know on earth today. This symbolizes a supernatural river. It is something that God is doing. But the question now, of course, is where is it headed? And what does it mean? And that leads us to examine then secondly the power of the river. The power of the river is given to us in verse 8. And actually, it talks about the river flowing into the sea. Now, as we study this passage, and many times in our Bibles, and I want you boys and girls to hear this well, you need to study with your Bible in one hand and a map in the other hand. Sometimes the Bible describes places to us, and it does that because these things really, really happened. Now, this is something that Ezekiel the prophet is being shown by God. Uh, This, though, is talking about something that Ezekiel and his day and we must here tonight in church understand. So it gives us a description of not only where this river flows, but it gives us actually the names of two places where we can identify which sea this is flowing into. It tells us that it flows down to the Arabah and into the sea, and when the waters enter the sea, the sea is transformed. Now the remarkable thing, and I can remember when I was your age, boys and girls, being in church in a Presbyterian church, exactly where you are today. And we had a Bible teacher sometimes that would always begin by marking two things on the chalkboard. They would mark the Sea of Galilee, and then draw the Jordan River down, and then she would say, here is the Dead Sea. The water that is flowing from this river is flowing into a sea which has two cities that are still there today, in Gedi and Eglaim. But you have to understand, this sea is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is, I believe, 10 times greater salt content than the oceans. If you were going, boys and girls, to the Dead Sea today to go for a swim, you would be so disappointed because you would get in the water, try to get in the water, but you couldn't go down in the water. There's so much salt in the water, it would hold you up. Now, and in one of these cities today, there is a a spa, I understand. There's a place that people go for special massages. And, of course, there's plenty of salt. There are different minerals there. Nothing grows or can grow in the Dead Sea. There are no plants. There are no fish. There is only salt. But when the water, as Ezekiel sees, flows into the sea, 
it heals the water. It's much like one place in the Old Testament where the people could not drink the water, the people of God. And the same word is used that the water was healed. Well, this is what's taking place with this river. The Dead Sea becomes a place where there are many fish and it's surrounded by trees. And actually there are fishermen there, as we'll see, who are throwing their nets, like at the Sea of Galilee, to fish. New life has come. It's been transformed. And this is much more of a picture than a water treatment plant. You know, it's amazing to think, but there are places sometimes that the water's really bad. It's terrible. But we can have the water treated in certain ways, and it's not only safe for us to drink, but it tastes pretty good. This is much more than that. This is a transformation that God is doing. But how is this possible? How is it possible that God would transform something that has no life, that has no hope? We remember from John chapter 4 that the Lord Jesus once was sitting beside a well. A woman came out to draw water. She was a Samaritan. And he asked her for a drink. I'm going to read a couple of verses from John chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. And again, we're answering the question, how is this possible that water could be healed, could be transformed? The Lord Jesus in his ministry often spoke of water to help us to understand what he can do in our own lives, in our heart, and how he can give us life. John 4, verse 10. And this is Jesus speaking again to the woman there beside the well. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And, and she goes on, and I'll skip down to verse 13. Everyone who drinks of this water, Jesus said, shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. How is this transformation where water flows from the river and even the Dead Sea is made a place of life? Well, I will ask you, how is it that the Lord regenerates a person who is dead in their trespasses and sins and brings them to life as another place we read in Ezekiel and gives us a new heart. Now, this is what is pictured here. You see, this river is a picture of the Lord Jesus himself. He is the source of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he said to this woman, I will give you water from which if you drink, you will never thirst. And we see later in this story how her life was transformed 
and how then she became a channel to pass that along to others. Recently, we were preaching here on the coming of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost, and we saw how the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. Uh, we remember that baptisms, the water signifies two things. It signifies the blood of Christ that cleanses us from sin, and it symbolizes the Holy Spirit who comes to fill us, to make all new. We recognize that this transformation is a picture of salvation that only the Lord can do. A hymn writer, once speaking of this, reminds us, I believe we'll be singing this in a few moments, like a river glorious is God's perfect peace, overall victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth, fuller every day. Perfect yet it groweth, deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are truly blessed. Finding, as he promised, perfect peace and rest. This is the nature of the river. This is its power to transform. Let's look then at the results of the river. I've already alluded to those. In verses 9 through 12, first of all, we see the fish. Uh, this, again, is a transformation of a place where there was no life, there were no fish, not the simplest uh, animals or life forms. But we read that in verse 9, wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be many fish. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. I love to fish, and the fishing report at this river is good. <laughs> it's like the Mediterranean. <laughs> there are all kinds of fish, and there's a lot of them. Maybe I would even catch something. But actually, the fish are an evidence of new life in this river. And it has the fishermen right there where the spa is located today, there where the the salt is in Engedi and Eglaim, that's become the honey hole. Do you know what the honey hole is, boys and girls? That's the best place in the pond to catch the fish. That's where the big ones are. And that's where this passage shows them fishing with their nets. A place today that there's no fish, there's no life because of the salt in the water. But we see this picture of the life-giving river. But not only that, but there are fruit trees. On both sides of the river, it pictures fruit trees. It says that uh, they do not wither. They're like what is pictured in the psalm. I bet some of you boys and girls have probably memorized Psalm 1. And remember, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted beside streams of what? Who can help me? Living water. So it's like a willow tree. 
It's right there by the water, drinking in the water. And it's so alive that it bears fruit year-round. Most of our trees, our apple tree has apples on it now, but it doesn't in, in January or February. But this tree bears fruit all year round. But not only is there fruit, but there's also the leaves which are for the healing of the nation. The picture given to us here is of a transformation of people and of families, of communities which are impacted by this life-giving river which is symbolized in the person and work of Christ. And the further it flows, the deeper it gets and the greater the transformation. God is at work in places that we, if we do not see it with our own eyes, would find it hard to believe. Today outside of Medellin, Colombia, up on a mountain, controlled just a few short years ago by the drug cartel, Pablo Escobar, sits New Providence Bible Institute. I find that so ironic. From the Bible Institute, pastors are being trained who serve in almost now all of the Spanish-speaking Latin American countries. It was an area that a short time ago one would have thought there was only violence, murder. It was a very dangerous place. And yet now, this week, students will be going out into that community to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Students will be taking courses soon and be then going back to their countries, to Bolivia, to Peru, to Argentina, uh, also throughout Colombia with the gospel. Who would have ever thought that the Lord would have placed New Providence Bible Institute in that place. But he not only transforms communities like Santa Elena, where New Providence Bible Institute is, but he transforms lives. Becky and I were once sitting at the table when Andres told us about his childhood. Like most of our Colombian pastors, he came from the worst of the worst home situations. His parents separated. His mother abandoned them. If I can get through this. And Andres told us that he remembers a night when the curtain, kind of the wind was blowing very hot where he lives. Not all Colombia is hot. But he remembers the night they smelled the perfume and knew that his mother had come home. Amazing story of Andres' conversion. Like most of our Reformed Presbyterian pastors, he came to know Christ through a charismatic church. I think it was a four-square church. Uh, I first met Andres. He was one of our students in the Miami International Seminary. And along with John Sandoval, another pastor there in that same city, was used by God 
to plant a church. But it didn't end there. Even though Andres was living in Santander, his heart was at, in the coast of Colombia. He, he is very coastal he was in the way he spoke and certainly in his love for Vallenato music. So Andres was used to the Lord to go at his own expense, month after month, to Aguachica, Cesar, where he started a church and began to train the pastor of that church, and now two men who are elders. What we are praying for here at Antioch has taken place in the city of Aguachica, which means small water in Cesar. Even though our friend Andres died a couple of weeks ago of COVID, uh, there is no question but that the legacy he has left is in Miguel, in these elders, in the other families in this church, and in his ministry in Bucaramanga. So God works, and the river is transforming people like Andres. One of the memories that Becky and I cherish of Andres is seeing him on his motorcycle somewhere or another trying to pile on his two nieces. Um, before Andres married, uh, he and always has had such an impact on his extended family. So pray for them. Some of them do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So pray for them even as his memorial service is going on now. So what is the Lord doing? He is transforming lives like Andres. He is raising up leaders for his church in the most unlikely places, like outside of Medellin, and all of that for his glory. I was in a meeting this week with some men here in Greenville who are praying for a Russian and Ukrainian church plant. I was also in a meeting with these same men who were talking and looking around the area as we looked at the study, the demographics of the Hispanic population. It's a, a great blessing, the work of Emmanuel Upstate, but one church is not enough. <laughs> I was um, sharing with someone again this week um, what we have the privilege of being a part of here as Philip comes each week and plays the piano and as we think about what God is doing here in the Greenville area to raise up a Chinese church. Yes, the river is flowing and we should be encouraged and we should pray for that. It's interesting in this passage there's that one exception looking back at Ezekiel 47 in the place that would be the most likely for the river to flow it actually says here that there is a place in the swamps and the marshes that will not become fresh they will be saved for salt Many have understood this to believe and to just emphasize that what we're talking about this evening is not universalism. We are not talking about everyone in every place will become a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible simply does not teach that. Also, others have thought that sometimes the places that seem the most likely and the most fertile for the gospel, such as a marshland, 
or a swamp would be for transformation and for life are places that will be overlooked by the Lord. As I pray and think about the world today and as we uh, see different reports, you have to understand that in 1900, 83% of the world's Christians lived in Europe or North America. 83% it is estimated. It's projected that by the year 2050, 72% of the Christians all over the world will live in Asia, Africa, or Latin America. So what is God doing? I can tell you what he is doing. There are men who will be praying at the presbytery I will be attending in South America who will be praying for us here. They are praying that God will give them the opportunity, some of them, to come to the United States or others to go to Europe to proclaim the gospel in gratitude for how God brought the flow of the river uh, through Europe and North America to them. And that same vision is shared by churches in Africa and Asia as well. So as we conclude this incredible journey of a river that transforms, that flows from one source, first and foremost, we have to hear the invitation that is given in John chapter 7, our New Testament reading. In John chapter 7, uh, Jesus, following the tradition at that time in which the priest on the last day of the feast would go and would take a pitcher of water, symbolizing the Holy Spirit, and he would pour that out. It was that day that Jesus stood on that great day and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And that is the invitation for us, for each of us. Are you thirsty? There's only one source of life, and that is Jesus. We as covenant children, Becky and I have a special place in our hearts to pray for covenant children. We were right where you were on Sunday night when we were growing up. But you know, it is not enough that your parents follow Jesus. It is not enough that, that they read the Bible to you and they pray for you, but rather you yourself as well as part of that must trust Christ alone. You must learn what it means to drink from his word and to grow. And so the first thing that we see here tonight in the way of application is that the gospel is for us. You know, sometimes we talk about taking the gospel to others and so we should. But we ourselves need the gospel. We need the gospel, the living water from this river more tonight than even when we first believed. Isaiah 55 reflects the same invitation, doesn't it? It says, come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. We see then the presence and power of God in the river. But secondly, I believe, and where we spent a good bit of time in the message tonight is to see the importance of this passage of Scripture in 2021, right here in South Carolina. As we talk to different people, 
there is a, a common field that the, the world some way is out of control. Uh, both politically, we are divided. We have the pandemic. Where is all of this headed? We should be so encouraged as we go into this new week that the Lord has already revealed to us where this is headed. This river will flow. The Great Commission will be fulfilled. The earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God is on the throne. In the midst of COVID and the pandemic, we should take great heart that the river is growing deeper and flowing, even though we may not see that. Lives are being changed. Communities are being impacted. And all for the glory of God. The river of life is for the healing of the nations. Have you ever thought that the Bible ends where it begins? There's a tree. There's a tree of life. And in Revelation 22, we see the river there once again. We see the trees that are there for the healing of the nations. We are a part of that story. We should be encouraged. For the Lord calls us, thirdly, to pass along that water to others, to be channels. Do you remember the woman at the well? Going back to her for a moment. The woman at the well... She heard what Jesus said. He said, I will give you water that will bubble up in you, will flow to eternal life. And so she went back into town and she told others. And at first, those who believed in that town, Jesus stayed there two days. The first ones who believed, believed because of her testimony. God calls us as well to give testimony. Have we experienced the life-giving water? Then he calls us to be a channel to give that life-giving water to others. One of the things that Becky and I are learning as we experience reverse culture shock here in South Carolina is that the words of Steve Green, who sang this uh, song that said, that the mission is the same. He, the words of the song, I'm not going to sing it, but the words of the song basically say that whether it's across the street or around the world, the mission is the same, to proclaim and live the truth in Jesus' name. And may we do that this week. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.